In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Klaus Dürr, Director of Organizational Development for Amphenol. Klaus has been with the company since 2010, and we talk about the process of finding the next generation of leaders for Amphenol with a team of two, including himself. We talk about finding the right cultural fit in a potential candidate, how it's not one size fits all, and how he tells the Amphenol story. We talk about being born and raised in Germany. We talk about his love of literature and about studying that and political science in college. We talk about his early career in adult education before moving to recruiting. We talk about finding Amphenol after moving around the world a few times. And we talk about his themed Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. So tell me what the Director of Organizational Development does. Oh, if I only knew. Um, so the majority That's a great of my start, work, Klaus. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of my work is actually talent acquisition and talent management. Yeah. So you know we're not we're not obsessed with systems and processes. We don't do fancy, fluffy HR work and you know, leadership development programs or things like that. So the majority of my work is actually bringing people into the organization, and I do that by recruiting directly for the businesses across geographies and across the divisions, um, I spearhead the MBA recruitment. Mm-hmm. We're bringing the next generation of leaders. Um, you know, Ed works for me. I mean, our our talent management team at corporate is who is actually Ed and I. Right. And so Ed, Ed spears more the college recruitment initiatives for the Americas as well as for Europe. Uh, he, he implemented uh, recently a couple of very successful rotational programs. Mm-hmm. Um, he supports me on some of the strategic recruitment and, you know, generally I, I work on mid-level leaders and above and he works on, you know, frontline leaders and, and, and maybe our individual contributors, but we're all over the place. But the majority of, of, of my work is actually talent acquisition. Yeah. And and we take it from soup to nuts. And I, Ed and I have a background in hat hunting, so we support the, the businesses in really reaching out to to talent and 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 approaching them and headhunting them so you know they save money they don't have to use a headhunter and we are better in doing what we're doing than the the headhunters that charge a lot of money for it my guess is for a corporation the size of amphenol like we are to have by by and large two people to do this is probably quite (laughs) unusual isn't it it's Absolutely unusual. And when I when I speak to friends of mine, you know, who work for those typical hierarchical and, and matrixed German organizations, I don't want to tell, say names, but and I tell them what I do, and how we, and you know, how big the team is, and I say, you know, it's 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 uh, uh, it's myself and Ed, and then they ask, what's Ed? I said, it's not what's Ed, who's Ed? It's two of us, <laughs> and and they. They can't get their head around it. You know, we at a company, we have a department of people who only schedule interviews all day. And I say, oh, interesting. So you hire smart people, put in a little box, and all they do is schedule interviews all day? Um, Only for people with the last names that start with A through D. Uh, Exactly. The more we get, exactly. And E through H. Alphabet. I'm I'm astounded how how effective we are and how much work we get done. But at, you know, I always say you can probably handle ten to twelve projects at at a time, um, and they need to be in different stages. That's that's probably as as much as you can do because it comes with you know we 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 have to reach out, we have to identify, do the research, we have to identify, we have to 
long list. We have to reach out. We have to interview pre-screen. You know, I consider the first interview that we have when we when we headhunt people a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wooing and courting and winning people over and being interested in Amphenol because you know we're not a household name necessarily. If we recruit within the industry, of course they know us, but sometimes it's 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 not necessarily that they that it rings a bell. They know something some most of the time about Amphenol, but not don't have the full picture. So it's a lot of booing and courting and telling the story and giving the overview and this is what we're looking for and this is how it fits into the organization and that's the the nature of the job. So a lot of so the majority of our job is talking to people. It's the people business. That's what we do at an eye. And it what? keeps us busy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, it sounds like it. I mean, there's only and then two you, of you. you know, funny stuff with that. You were involved, yeah. like branding campaigns and yeah. and whatnot. You know, that's all all the marketing campaigns. That's also part of our job. But everything is around talent, people. You know, and then I'm also in charge of succession management. Again, we we don't have a a one size fits all um, system or process. It's rather a dialogue, you know, knowing who's out there, knowing the coming and goings of, 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 of the leadership team and and know, know who to have on your radar for, for any internal opening that might be interested for those people where they fit the bill. I know that each person you talk to is different, so you have to approach each one a little bit differently based on the circumstances. Yes. But yes. you must have some general things that you, you talk about with regards to Amphenol for people who have a little bit of knowledge of it or even no knowledge of it? What are some of the things that you usually tell people? Let's say for someone, uh, uh, an MBA student, what would you typically tell them? MBA students are different. I mean, that's a different kind of approach. I mean, before you actually talk to people, let's say you had time, you need to get their interest. Mm -hmm. And that's usually remote. We go, you know, usually we go through LinkedIn. So you need to get their interest. And it's not about Amphenol. You know, you can't do that. This is who we are. It's more about them. You make it more about them. So, you know, I saw your profile on LinkedIn. Very interesting. Very impressive. I'd be curious to have a, you know, a career discussion with you at some point. Uh, you know, let me know what works for you and, and I'll set something up. Yeah. So you make it more about them. And, and their goals and values, what they're looking for, less than about, hey, this is what I look, what I'm looking for now, and okay. this is what we, you know, this is the requirements. MBA is a bit different. We're not a mass recruiter, so our, our MBA program is very selective, very focused, very small size, right? So we're we're not a household name. We don't go then everybody knows where Amphenol is. Plus, mm-hmm. we're manufacturing, so there's all the cool companies coming coming on campus. So we're good at grassroots level. Mm-hmm. So the networking events, the coffee chats, and we simply have a great story to tell. We, we don't have, you know, a household name that rings the bell immediately. We always say, you know, we're one of the biggest manufacturers on, the, on, the, on this planet that you've never heard of. Yeah. But here's our story. So yeah. we have to do a lot of one-on-one, uh, you know, tell the Amphenol story, which is a great story to tell. We're, we're an awesome company. It's just unbelievable, you know, this unparalleled history of growth with a great culture. It's just a, a, a fantastic success story. But we tell the story, and we tell the story mostly around not only the modus operandi and what we do, but mostly 
around the culture. You know, this is what you get. This is what the people are all about. This is what a culture is all about. This mm-hmm. is what we're looking for, um, you know, and this is the people we're looking for. And maybe that's, you know, that's something in line with your goals and values. And, and it's a lot of one-on-one. It's more grassroots level. You know, if, if, if the bigger companies with the big brand names come on campus, they've established rotational programs and, or in other consultancies, the typical go-tos, you know, that that where everybody, the whole herd, you know, navigates towards those kind of companies. And there's Amphenol, you know, mm-hmm. Amphahu. Yeah. So we, and the disadvantage in the the last one and a half years was everything was virtual. Mm-hmm. And that's a different thing because you have this virtual platform and you're basically sitting there in your virtual room and wait for people to come to you. Whereas Ed and I are very strong when we are there at a networking event to pulling people in and mm-hmm. getting them interested and just directly approaching them. And so we're really looking forward to, you know, being on, on campus again. That's starting now. Yeah, I can Thank see. God. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I can see where the challenge, I guess, if I can repeat it back to you in a sense, is that because Amphenol is not, you know, it's not Apple, it's not Google, it's not Microsoft, it's not Adobe or whoever, that everyone knows. And like you said, you know, people are just waiting in line to talk to those people and they have hundreds or thousands of people going, is that you have to capture their attention somehow very quickly with what Amphenol is about. And then if they go, oh, hmm, then you're like, okay, now I think we we have some interest here, right? I mean, yeah. that seems to be where it starts. And once you get that going, then you can figure out where to go from there. Yeah, and then you womb, you court them, you follow yeah. up with them, you talk to them about it again, and this is our program, and you know it's very different. It's not standardized. You have, we work on real business projects. You, know, you have high visibility. There's no red tapes. You know, you're going to really work on something that matters, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really strategic project. They want more. We expect more. We make that clear too. But we also straight shooters. You know, we also tell, listen, it's not for everyone. We look. It's a very unique culture, and we look for very unique you know, leadership profile. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that they also, that we also manage expectations. You know, we, 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 we are, you know, always on the lookout for some very specific people. We just had a, a networking event today uh, at Yale School of Management, one of the schools that we partner with. It was actually today and Ed and I went there. And, you know, we talked about it to a couple of people and there was one standout and he's a total oddball. You know, he was... <laughs> Uh, yeah, working on the social impact program, basically building floors and, and training masons in Rwanda, Africa. And he's got a background in liberal arts and said, you know, I don't fit the bill, do I? I'm a bit of an oddball. I said, yeah, we oddballs too, so that's a great fit. But, you know, from a personality standpoint, he was just, there was something that, that resonated with us. Mm. And these are the kind of people we look for. We look for this, not oddball, I mean, they're not always oddballs, but, you know, for this very unique personality and leadership profile. And right. once we have that, we don't let them we don't let them go, you know, we follow <laughs> up with those guys and we just all over them all the time, yeah. So they may not necessarily check all of the normal boxes that you would check, no. right? They're no. the ones that you see you and Ed go, this really fits a personality type and a and a and a potential leadership type that would be would really be enhanced by being a part of our culture. And we think that we can we can maybe create something great with, with this person. 
Absolutely. And there's, there's one question, one criteria, and one criteria only. Do we see a future leader? Do we see a future Amphenol leader? Do we see a future channel manager? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. And it's more about the personalities, more about, you know, their, 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 the way about them uh, than it's about particular skills. I mean, we, we you know, and, uh, the beauty about the MBA program is that we can be more you know, experimental. So we, we don't have to have, okay, we need somebody from the electronics industry, mm-hmm. um, ideally connect a background and this industry. No. So, you know, we're looking for leaders. And so we can, you know, we can also, you know, approach people that have a background in retail. We mm-hmm. just had an intern. She came from retail, luxury retail. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, fantastic job. Look at Robert Stewart. You know, Robert Stewart came from the, from the, from the Peace Corps. Yeah. One of those oddballs, but he just, you know, <laughs> Yeah. fit our culture so it's 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 a different approach mba when when you do direct recruitment it's a different ball game i mean there's a very specific re- uh, set of requirements yeah, I was gonna job ask you. description yeah that's that's a different approach totally different approach you know you can't be as crazy and say listen this candidate comes from whatever the food industry but i think there's some great things about her or him that doesn't work there's mm-hmm. a very specific specific set of requirements yeah that's where you do it's have to check approach. the boxes Yes, you have yeah. to check the boxes, many of them, yes. Plus, once you speak to them, they have to fit our culture. It's all about cultural fit. Mm-hmm. You know, our culture is very unique. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have done great things. They, they're very successful in their careers. But are they necessarily what we – do they fit what we have to offer and what we're looking for? That's always the question. How do you explain the culture? the capital C culture of Amphenol to people, whether it's, you know, a direct recruitment like you're talking about or even an MBA. I mean, how do you explain the Amphenolian culture to somebody? Because you must do it a lot. I do it a lot and I have my sales pitch. I mean, it, when it's it's direct recruitment, it's a three-layered approach. So I, I give them the overview. This is the Amphenol culture, you know, of entrepreneurship, ownership, accountability, decentralization, those nonsense, down to earth, you know, results are in the passion. So you sell the overall company culture. And and if I have a specific recruitment campaign and project, I always make sure that they understand how that fits into the culture. Because the Amphenol culture, this is overarching culture, the Amphenol culture, ownership, accountability, entrepreneurship. But then each and every business within the organization of which we have 125, as, as you know, mm-hmm. has a different take on that culture. Yeah. You know, they have a different history. They're, they're working, a, they're in a different geography. They, they're in a different industry. So what, what works in medical, you know, might not work in mobile consumer products or what works in military and aerospace might not work in industrial. So I make sure that, that I paint the picture of this is the Amphenol culture. Now, this is the division we're talking about. You know, this is what they do. It's a weapon-aiding technology, it's mobile consumer products, it's industrial, it's military aerospace. And this is the operating unit. And let me tell you the story about this business. Mm-hmm. And so this is the three-layered approach mm. because if I recruit for a German company, I have to tell the story of that particular operating unit and sure. what, where they're from, what they've done, what, they do, what they're doing. Or if I recruit for, you know, the, you know, I was in Asia and China for, for Amphenol, you know, uh, if you recruit for SAA, it's a completely different ballgame. No, they have product life cycles of nine months. It's a madhouse. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful business. But then if you recruit for some of the military business, they're still selling products that they designed 40 years ago. Oh, it's yeah. a completely different story. Yeah. So you always have to tell the whole story. The, the, this is the Amphenol culture. And this is what, what, you know, the umbrella the, and this is in this particular case, this op- 
operating in it. You know, this is the history of the company, of this unit. This is the what they do, and this is uh, how we describe their culture. So you have to you have to tailor it for each and every assignment. MBA is different. It's what the bigger is the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. It's it's more about the program and what the program is all about, and then you know. In the, in the final step, once we have shortlisted candidates that we think are a good match, then we talk to them about the, the project. But the overall sales pitch is here. Listen, it doesn't matter who you work for, really, and what product you work for, what division you work for. Because we're not looking for somebody who's in love with you know, sensors mm-hmm. or connectors or in, in, for this particular industry. We're or market, we're we're looking for those who want to run a company eventually mm-hmm. for the GM material, and this is what matters. And this is your way in. Whether you we, we make sure that that match the project, but in in the end, is it's it's I call it a courting season. So for two months for summer project, you know we get to know you, you get to know us, and at the end of that 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 internship, we make a decision whether we're made for each other. That's what it's all about. Now it it takes a while for you to see the fruits of your labor, but when you guys nail it, how satisfying is that? Very, but you have to have a high frustration tolerance. <laughs> yeah, like like, like uh, because of people business, right? Yeah. Um, so one of my colleagues, ex ex colleague um, recruitment, once said, you know, Klaus, recruitment is like trying to nail, uh, trying to nail a putting to the wall. You know, there's so many unknowns, <laughs> and then you know, the candidate wants, but the recruiting manager doesn't want, the company doesn't want, or the candidate wants, but the wife doesn't want, or the wife wants, but you know, the husband doesn't want. You know, there's so many unknowns. Yeah. Um, but it, there, there is a sense of accomplishment, uh, and, and especially when you see them then, you know, start start their job and their journey with Amphenol being successful. That's really rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine it is. I mean, that's where you judge your success, right? I mean, just to be perfectly right. frank, I mean, if you guys, uh, between you and Ed and the rest of the organization, they're able to find the right people, and I'm sure no one expects you guys to bat a thousand, but. You know, if you have a good success rate, I mean, that just does nothing but help the entire organization. So uh, I could see how that could be very rewarding when you see someone. And do they, I mean, hopefully you stay in touch with all these people then too. And, and let them do. know, like, hey, you know, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. I'm sure you do that, right? <laughs> yes. And I told you, I'm going to make you rich. Yeah. You, got me, you got me cheap, Klaus. No, I didn't. Yeah. No, and we have a very good success rate, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, people stick uh, once they're on board. Look at the MBA and the MBA program. Yeah, almost all of the MBA hires are still with the companies. Yeah. That's a tremendous success rate, and that's how selective and focused the, the the process is. Very interesting stuff. I mean, very neat. It's it's fascinating to find out about about the uh, this particular part of the business, organizational development, and really building on the leadership and the future of this company. And tying in the Amphenol story, which is, I mean, you know, um, you and I having worked together, how passionate I am about it. So it's its nice to see how this, this really all comes together. So you didn't start off, though, doing this, I don't believe, right? I mean, you were born and raised in Germany. I was. And, and you started when you were in, were you, by the way, we were talking about it before we started, football. We'll go with football, oh, right? I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll defer to you. Were you into... Oh, uh, young Klaus, growing up in Germany, were you a, a big into sports and and football? I was. 
I was big into sports and being German, of course, you start with soccer. I played soccer until age 16. Yeah. But I have to say, I was what they call a solid defense, yeah. which means you can't really play well. Just that's what. Okay, let me see if I can impress you here for a little bit of my little bit of my German soccer knowledge. So you wouldn't consider yourself like the heir to Franz Beckenbauer? No, no, no. I was more the Schwarzenbeck. So that's the guy before him who was taking care of the forward. So, but I played until sixteen, and and I wasn't. I was solid, but I wasn't talented. My my brother was a complete different story. He had great talent. So does so. My son is just an outstanding soccer player. So I didn't have that. So I ended up in martial arts. So that's that's what I did. That was my thing. What what martial arts were you competitive in? I started with Shotokan Karate and then Kung Fu, but I ended up doing kickboxing competitively for some time. Do you still do it? Mm. No. I'm too old for that. (laughs) Oh, I mean, at least do the practice. That wasn't a different. That was. Well, I'm not saying fighting, but just. Yeah. Now, listen to this. There there is a fitness chain now called Nine Rounds. Mm. And they, they basically do kickboxing training. They don't do sparring or anything. And my daughter discovered that. And said, "Dad, you used to do that. Come with me." And it's a, it's a half it's a half an hour uh, workout. Yeah. And it's basically nine rounds of three minutes where they let you do different exercises, either sit ups or you do punching ball or whatnot. And I went there. Let me tell you, Chris. I needed ten minutes to recover. That's the training I did before breakfast when I was young. Yeah. No, no way. I said, no way. <laughs> Let me do my walking or a bit of, you know, push-ups. This is too much. Yeah, yeah, but I did that competitively when I was young. Yeah, a different life. Oh, very cool. But uh, so you're in Germany. You go to school then, and you were into yes. political science. Yeah, but you go to school first, then you graduate. And then in my days, you still had to do compulsory service. Okay. So with either military service or civil service. Yeah. And, and whilst my father was with the military, was a com- combat diver and Navy SEAL, he was also the president of the local chapter of the Red Cross. And he said, you know, we don't need you guys to scare the Russians. Do something that makes more sense. And so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up, you know, working in an old age home, take care of the disabled for 20 months. And and then I started to study. So okay. in Germany, you know, we school was 13 years, two years of service. So, you know, you start when you're rather old. And when the kids graduate in this country, you know, that's where we start. I see. And then and then I chose literature and uh, political science, yes. Why those two? I always had a passion for literature. There was one. And then the political science part was more of an excuse. You know, you got to choose something that makes sense or is kind of useful. You know, then it comes to mind, your journalism or working for a publisher or whatnot. Yeah. Um, you like to argue, right? Passion. Debate. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I like to read. But, you, you know. <laughs> I can see by your bookshelf um, behind you. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's, it's, it was more passionate for my passion. Initially, I wanted to study forestry. So my, my mm. majors actually in high school was were biology and geography and then English, which I always liked. Uh, but then, you know, last year and during the civil, my civil service, I said, you know, I love literature. And don't forget, education in Germany is free. So it's not, okay, I'm going to be indebted with $100,000 or $80,000 and I need to find a good job. I said, you know, whatever comes, comes. <laughs> But that's what I studied. And then I got another master's in, 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 so I graduated in literature. And then I got another master's uh, when I was working in, in adult education, so in training development. Yeah. So once you did enter the workforce after university, mm-hmm. what did you start doing? Funny enough, so I went to University of Mannheim, which is a university in Germany, not too far away from the town I grew up in. And 
they offered actually an exchange program to Canada. So I graduated actually from the University of Waterloo, hmm. Masters. And after graduation, I came back to Germany. And there wasn't, I don't know whether there was a recession here, but I wasn't even looking for a career at that time because I had met my then girlfriend, now wife, in Miami. So I came back oh. to Germany and said, I better pay off whatever I spent there in Canada, and then I go to Miami. And so I went back to Germany, and the first job I had after graduation was actually working on construction and being a bartender three, three nights a week. That's what I did the first year. And then when I went to Perfect Miami, with political science. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Total match. And then, <laughs> then I went to Miami, and the easiest way to get an H-1B at that time was, okay, I'm German. I have a literature degree. Um, maybe I should be a teacher. So I started teaching in a middle school in Miami. Oh. I did that for almost a year. Wow. But wasn't meant to be. I spent more money on immigration lawyer and, and, and uh, you know, academic credential validations and whatnot. And, and uh, it's a long story, but they couldn't get me on the payroll, the paper on the table. I said, listen, guys, I, I, I you know, I, I spent more money than I make here. So I went back to Germany. Um, and then I went into adult education. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, was hired to um, teach German to immigrants, first of all. And then they asked me to do a, a program, which was basically working for the government. And we integrated, it was basically job hunting. So it was long-term unemployed mm -hmm. that we needed to find a job for again. So that did that. So I was a job hunter. And I did that for four and a half years, set up the subsidiary. And then after four and a half years, I said, you know, it's not for profit. Uh, it's not necessarily a career. You, can, you could have done that for the next 20 years. But mm. I said, you know, I, I, I'm more ambitious than that. And then I went from job hunting into hand hunting, mm. into recruitment. And I yeah. ended up actually, funny enough, with having no affinity for technology or background technology, um, working for a specialized uh, recruitment company in technology called PSD Group. And uh, started to recruit in the electronics industry. So semiconductor industry, passive active, uh, active electronics, electronic design, automation, industrial electronics, automotive electronics, all that kind of stuff. So I did recruitment. And then at some point I said, you know what? I have a background training development. Maybe I can bring everything together. And there was a company called Personal Decision International, PDI. Mm -hmm. It's an American-based company, the Mercedes in leadership development. Mm. Love them. And I joined them, and they do leadership assessments and, and coaching and mentoring, so I worked for them. And I was hired to specialize in leadership assessments, select, selection assessments or development assessments, and also to spirit the business development. Mm. But interestingly, the business model didn't really fly in Germany, unfortunately, and I and I always stayed in contact, and they stayed in contact with me, PSD Group, and they hired me back. So I was the first and only consultant they hired back, actually. And so off I go back to PSD, moved down for them to Munich, and then uh, year after they said, "What about Singapore?" and off I was to Singapore. <laughs> and, yeah, and then covering all Asia, and that's how I started to work for Amphenol. So Amphenol was a client for me. Oh, okay. So in Asia, I basically worked for three divisions. I worked for, back then, what they called ACG, Amphenol's uh, Cable Group, mm -hmm. and Paul Yona. I worked for Sacralis Outfit, what was now called RFOB. Yeah. And I worked for MCP, okay. basically yeah. SAA, so the MCP group. And I recruited for them. And I was out there, you know, since 2007, I'd worked for them. How long but were you then, in Singapore? 
I was in Singapore for a good two and a half years. And at some point, Paul Yona, who used to be a VP of the ACG group, he left Amphenol, became CEO of a ITT Ken carve out mm-hmm. called Coactive Technologies, private equity owned by Little John and, and, and Greenwich. And it's basically electromechanical switches and, and keypads. They did the keypads for the Motorola Razor, if you remember mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the little yeah, yeah. dome and keypad. And they did joysticks for off-road vehicles. So it was a carve out of a business that IDT Ken didn't really know what to do with. But I joined them in November of 2008. And I don't know whether you remember what happened then. It was a carve out. I was based in Singapore. I was supposed to move to Holland at some point to the Netherlands where Paul wanted to set up there, mm-hmm. the corporate headquarters. But then, you know, the, the economic crisis hit. Yeah. The company was hitting a wall and I was one of six in corporate headquarters and I was this Muppet that does HR. <laughs> and when I was supposed to move to the Netherlands, I said, listen, Paul, bad timing, you know, things are, you know, nothing we can control, but who's the first to go mm. if you have to take, and he had to take drastic measures, cost-saving measures in corporate, and I said, listen, the first to go is always HR, you know, there was a corporate controller, there was a CFO, there was somebody doing tax and legal, global sales, and the CEO, and there was this Muppet doing some talent management. <laughs> so it didn't work out. So back to Germany, just part of my contract, and then I went back to teaching and, and, and recruiting, and then in 2010, Amphenol calls me. How did they just? How did they call you? Just prior relationships. They, they, they knew me. They, yeah. they knew me. Prior relationships. Um, had also, you know, strong references from from Alex Parata and Paul Yona. And at that point, the VPHR was still Sharon Monteith, and they they wanted to focus stronger on the talent management side. And and Sharon came more from labor relations; that was his strength. Um, mm-hmm. And he wanted somebody to spear talent management, so he calls me and says, "Klaus, are you interested in spearheading, you know, talent management for for Amphenol? And at that point, I had just come back to Germany. I was back there for a year, and I'd moved my family quite a bit. I moved within Germany in 2004, in mm-hmm. 2005, in 2006, I'm in Singapore, in 2009, I'm back. And I said, I'm done moving. And there's Amphenol and says, Klaus, are you interested? I said, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, Can I stay and, here? And, <laughs> no, no, they said, and by the way, we want you in Asia first, and then you come to corporate headquarters in the United States. I said, absolutely, no problem. Yeah. And I hung up after the call and I turned around to my wife. Did I just commit to moving around the world twice again? She said, yes, you did. <laughs> Start packing. But it went very silent for a while. So with the first conversation with Sharam, and then you know, I didn't hear back from him. And funny enough, I was home on a Friday. And at that time, I wanted to change and join you know, bigger player in, in, in the recruitment world. And I had two offers on my table. It was a Friday afternoon, I remember till this day. And I had two offers, and I said, and I had to make the decision that day. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I wait till my, my wife was working till she comes back. We have a glass of wine, and then we make this decision together. Yeah. And whilst I'm waiting for my wife, why don't I check emails? And there was an email from Sharam after weeks after we spoke, and it said, Klaus, are you still interested? If yes, we want to meet you. And I respond back, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, can you come over to the States to interview? And I said, yes. Yes, you know, in two weeks, I'm I'm off for a week, so I could come. And he says, no, next week. And I said, next week? Yeah, maybe end of the week? And he said, no, can you come early week? Mm. 
this is Friday afternoon, mind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Germany. So, you know, frantically, I booked a flight. I was there on Sunday, and I'm mm. at Jerome on a Monday, and the rest is history. That was uh, 11 years ago. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. That's quite the yeah. route to get to Amphenol. And so then hey, you... Unorthodox, unorthodox. And I also met then Adam at the airport. So he interviewed with Diana Reed yeah. um, at the time. And so we, we met at the airport in Frankfurt. Also very unorthodox, you yeah. know, Adam says. You know, they had a long day, I, I reckon. And then there was my interview. Yeah. That's something that, else. So you, yeah. and then you ultimately, you do move to the States. Yes. Um, yes. So I, yes. Well, so I joined in Germany in November, 2010. I moved to Shanghai first mm-hmm. in 2011 and then 2012, I moved over. So the idea was, you know, one and a half to two years in China and then you come to the United States. And so and it's because of kids, you know, so it was school cycles yeah, and yeah. the summer and then it was you know, after one and a half years that I moved then to the States in 2012. Are you comfortable now in the U.S.? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. You look it. Yeah, You've always seemed it, at least a little I've known you. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it was a transition. You come from Shanghai, right? Yeah. You come from a <laughs> yeah. big metropolitan area. Yeah. And then we told our kids, we're going to move to New York or near New York. Yeah. What they what they hear is yeah. New York City. Oh, of course, of course. So yeah. we we moved from Shanghai to small town U.S. You yeah. know, we moved to Connecticut. Yeah. And the first and the first thing they say is, and where are other people? <laughs> where are other people? That was the first thing. That was a bit of a transition, but other than that, we we're very comfortably. My my kids are totally Americanized now. Yeah. They're third culture kids. My wife is American born, Dominican origin. The kids were born in in. in Germany, but they've dual citizenship. They lived in Asia for four years, and now they're in the United States. So that's great. It's like the United Nations family. Yeah, my my dog lived in four countries, Chris. <laughs> Your dog is is more well traveled than a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, well traveled. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's our gypsy life. Yeah. So when you're not uh, developing the organization, what do you like to do in your free time at home uh, with the family? As you can see, I'm an avid reader. Yes. Um, I wish I could so I zoom like in and just see some of the, the titles of your books, but I, I, well, won't, I won't more put you here. on the spot. I won't put you on there's the spot. more here. So there's a lot of, you know, this is a lot of fiction here. There's all kinds of stuff, German and English. And here you have more of the nonfiction. You okay. have history here on that level. You have history here, there, and then there's philosophy, there's theology, and there's all kinds of popular science down there. I like it. You have it organized. Kind of, yeah. yeah good for you. <laughs> so you read no, anything no. Anything else you, you do in your free time? I like to stay fit. Yeah. So I do some sort of, I got back to, to a routine now, funny enough, during the pandemic, um, and, and I try to just keep that going. Um, that's one thing. Then family, friends, you know, uh, social life, and I have a dog that I walk in the morning and the evening. That's yeah. Pretty much it. Besides work, there's not much... No, not, not much more time to, to spend. That's enough. I'm, yeah. I'm good with that. Okay. So if I then gave you a break and said, okay, we're going to put you on a deserted island by yourself, tropical island somewhere, um, <laughs> where haven't you been? And maybe we can find that place um, nice and warm. I'm, I will go to an island now over Christmas and New Year's, by the way. It's called okay. the Dominican Republic. Okay, it's not deserted. Go. It's going to be 40, 40 family members. It won't be deserted. <laughs> No, no, not at all. Uh, you will not be alone. Uh, that's for sure. But if you are alone, 
And I said, okay, Klaus, you get to bring with you one album, one book, which this might be tough, and one movie. We'll start with the album. What album would you bring with you? I'm going to destroy the island, right? Yes. So let me let me stick with the theme. I would take the best of police, the police, including okay. So Lonely and, <laughs> okay. and Message in a Bottle. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think those are both off the first two albums. Big police fan. I love yes. the police. Yeah. Yes. You okay. love them? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, what is it? Outlandos. A message Ma- and uh, Damor, uh, yes. And, and yes. Yes, exactly. And, and, and Message in the Bottle is, I think, their best song. Yeah. Brilliant song. Okay. So the police for one. Now a book. I mean, you have, I can see, you know, just a handful of probably your hundreds and hundreds, but if you had to pick a book to bring with you, either entertain you or be instructional, what would you bring? I would stick with a the theme. I would take Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. Oh, the classics. You're going to stick with the, the classics. Classic. Here we yes. go. Hey, yeah. I'm on an island. Come on. You are, and you're you're lit guy. So yeah, I, you're only you're on brand, which is good. I like to hear it. <laughs> and then, how about a movie? I stick to the theme. I take Castaway with Tom Hanks. So can yeah, I so, take a football too, so I can talk to the football when I get lonely? Then you want foot, listen you to want the football or volleyball? You remember you're gonna, the movie? Ca- of Castaway? course, yeah, Wilson. It, yeah. it was a volleyball. It was yeah. a volleyball. It was a volleyball. Right. right. It was a volleyball. Yeah. So I take a volleyball to to talk to. You could change it to a soccer ball if you want. I could. Yeah, I could change it to a soccer ball. <laughs> All right, Klaus. Well, listen. I thank you for taking the time to do this today. It was a really great conversation. Uh, always you enjoy talking welcome. to you. Uh, hopefully, I Likewise. will see you. Uh, in person soon here as I come down to Wallingford. Uh, But again, thanks for doing this. I wish you a speedy recovery, Chris.